That's a uh, little preview of the series that we're doing next week. I know everybody heard that, and you're like, man, I am so informed about what next week's series is going to be. Um, we're starting a series next week called Anchor, and this is kind of a precursor to that. Um, but next week, we're starting a series called Anchor, and the idea behind it is basically um, we live in a, a rapidly changing culture. It's continually changing. It's continually moving and shifting. Um, but one of the things that's interesting is the church is notoriously slow about um, how they represent God to a changing culture, right? Like, I don't know if you knew this, but at some point in Christendom, um, Christians decided when forks first became a real thing that they decided, honestly, let me preface this. I'm pretty sure this is true. Heard it in a religion class at Florida State, so 50-50 chance. Um, but it, it, that, that at some point, you know, forks came out and they said, no, we, you know, the church is hesitant towards forks because, you know, you know God gave us fingers for a reason. It's like, yeah, I don't see you, like, thinking, like, you know, we're not going to use toilet paper. We're using leaves. It's like, that's okay. That's gross. Anyways, um, that to say, the church has always been very hesitant to how do we embrace change. Um, that, that's kind of the shifting surface that's, that, that's up here, but at the same time stay anchored um, in who God has called us to be. And so we're going to unpack, honestly, I think a really important set of ideas for our church going forward. Uh, because we are in an age of, of craziness, right? We're in an age of social media. We're in, a, in an age of, of cryptocurrencies and NFTs and anybody on my, you know, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, great day yesterday. Cool. All right. <clears throat> we'll do a financial series later, and we'll talk about investment. Anyways, um, so, man, I'm so glad that we're here today. It's, this is wild, and I just want to tell you, for a couple minutes, I'm going to ramble, and the reason is because I haven't been on stage in like two months, and so normally it's like, okay, what am I going to talk about this Sunday, and now I'm like, I, don't, I have so many things to talk about, um, so pardon my therapy session for a second, um, but one, I want to say thanks to Dylan for reading my stats, I appreciate that, um, just know that I was 236 this morning, which might not sound like a big deal, but anybody approaching 40, I'm 38, anybody approaching 40 is like, don't rob me of my four pounds, big dog, you know, so um, there's that. Uh, <laughs> Um, but the reason I'm, I'm excited about today and the reason I'm excited to, to get, gather together in this kind of, you know, an opportunity, and I, by the way, I appreciate you guys being accommodating and, you know, pardon our dust type of stuff. This gives us an opportunity for us to, to launch this, this building, work out a bunch of the kinks, the wires, the issues, what's, you know, the sound levels and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, we're excited about the big grand opening next weekend. We would say, well, man, we'd love for you to be back, um, obviously bring people and, and all that kind of jazz, but, um. Uh, as we're talking today, man, I was thinking, what are we going to talk about? Because the truth is, is the story of our church has been a, a fairly uncommon one. It, it's been one that uh, we started off as a Bible study in Frenchtown at a church that was predominantly made up of, of homeless folks on a Monday night. As we started meeting for Bible study and going through the book of Acts and saying, okay, what would, what would a church look like in this day and age if we just had the, the awareness of Scripture and what the Bible said? Like, what would that mean? What would that look like? What would that present itself like? How would that be different, or would it be different? And as we started to try to live that out, we went through this thing that I don't think any of us expected, which was first a big identity crisis. Because what seemed like the, the call of the church, what seemed like the call of the church was that we would be faithful to God and we would be very benevolent or loving or serving of the community and the world and the people around us, right? Condensed, simply put, it's, it's love God, love people. And you've probably all heard that before. Nobody's like, man, let me write that one down. I hadn't heard that. Wow, can you say that again? Wow. But, but this dynamic kind of idea for us was, was embodied in the, the love and the service to the marginalized. And we went through an identity crisis because we opened up our doors and we brought in young people 
<laughs> we thought we thought we were going to bring in homeless people. And we're like, well, you know, some of them, you guys act homeless around, you know, the, the, the streets on Tennessee Street and stuff like that. So, um, no, the, the, the truth is, is, is that we just assumed that, that, that we were going to attract the people that we felt called to serve until we came to grips with the fact that it was never about who to attract, but who to serve with, whoever attracted. And let me tell you, about two years in, we went through what every church goes through, which is where all of a sudden we're starting to grow because we're confident in who we are, and then the rug gets pulled out from under, under us. We went into our first warehouse, and we thought that warehouse was incredible. It was about 2,500 square feet, right? Which is, it's like the, the size of three of our kids' classrooms combined, um, I'm not going to tell you some of the stories that happened there, but there were rats at different point in time, which no one knew about. We're like, oh, let's, that kid's ministry place is closed today. Um, it's not happening right now, by the way. Um, but that to say is, as we went through a process where all of a sudden, I mean, we started to grow like crazy. And it was somewhat unexpected because as we got into our first warehouse, we went from, you know, 70 people at our first to 100 people to 200 people to 400 people to 500 people to kind of right before COVID hit, you know, we were at the 700, 800 people mark. And, and it was just continually climbing and growing and climbing and growing. And right around that time, we realized something as a church that we kind of organizationally understood and knew and began to focus on, but we did not necessarily say it as an announcement because some things are better when they're ingrained in the culture, not pushed from stage, right? It's kind of the bubble up idea. And one of those things was, is we felt like we had done a wonderful job of reaching people and serving people, but people who didn't know Jesus would come to know Jesus, but we realized we need to really focus on helping people go from salvation to maturity. No faith to faith. It felt like we were just excelling at that. But faith to maturity, which is funny because that's the part that almost all churches do well, right? Like you've been around a church and it's like Shadyville Baptist Church, Third United Methodist Church, you know, the, the, the next denominational, non-denominational church down the road, which really just means it's a Baptist church with a non-denominational clothing on, right? Like, 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 belief to maturity, that's what we do well in churches. In fact, one of the things that we really didn't do well was, as a church as a whole, but we did, was young people. And we realized, man, it was just, it was never about who we were going to attract, but with whoever was a part of our, our church family that we would love and serve the community around us. We realized, man, we really need to focus on, on growth, on discipleship. In our groups ministries, our discipleship ministries, our class, I mean, those things have just taken off and gone through the roof over the last couple of years. And so today what I want to talk about specifically is organizationally, and I say this because this is somewhat like a, of an insider conversation, so the good thing is if this is your first time here, this is actually a great Sunday because you're going to get a little peek behind the curtains of, of where we've been and where we're going. But I want to talk about, because of the fact that we had a big growth trajectory and we kind of paused for a second to focus on maturity, to focus on systems, to focus on infrastructure, because the reality is in anybody who runs a big organization, you know this, that there comes a point in any organization where growth, 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 and it's just chaos and chaos and chaos and chaos, but at some point, if you don't institute systems, structure, infrastructure, and belief to maturity, what ends up happening is it becomes very difficult to be repeatable, and repeatable isn't just like, oh man, I can't wait, you know what I want to be with my life? I want to be repeatable. Right? No one woke up this morning and be like, I can't wait to repeat things. Right? But, but, but here's why that's important. Because when someone fills out a new person card, what happens with that person happens in a vacuum. In other words, if we don't follow up, contact, say, how can we love, help, and serve you? How can we get you connected if you would like to? 
If somebody wants to get connected, but that falls through the cracks and we don't have a system to make that repeatable, then the truth is, is it looks like we just don't care. And we do. But with that comes a temptation. With that comes a tendency. And I just kind of want to tell everybody, this is where we're going as we're launching into this kind of new, not this kind of new building, this old building that's kind of in a new way. It's kind of like Nehemiah. Is it old news, new news in a new way? Anyways, if you weren't here for that series a summer ago, which most of you weren't. Anyways, here's why I say that. There's a temptation as it relates to churches who are good at taking people from belief to maturity, and that's to be very self focused to the dismissal of what I would call authentic relationship with Jesus or the authentic expression of a relationship with Jesus. You see, in the life cycle of any organization or any group of people, there's an acclimation process, there's a growth process, but then there's market saturation and there's maturity that happens. And when that happens, we begin to be, as a church, very self-focused. I'm going to tell you what I mean by that, but I actually just want to read it to you. Because this is what happened in the nation of Israel. Before Jesus walked on planet Earth, the nation of Israel were God's chosen people. They were the God squad in the Old Testament. And as the God squad of the Old Testament, they had had a long kind of checkered history with God. Times that they were faithful, times that they were wildly unfaithful. Times that they said, God, we're all about you. Times that they say, basically, God, who are you? Honestly, not too different from us. And so as they would go on, God would correct them. And we're going to read one of the corrections that God has for them. It's in Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah is prophesying. Prophesying is God saying, this is a message I have for the people through a person. And so the prophet Isaiah um, says this in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 2. He says this. He says, yet they seek me daily, and they delight to know my ways. Talking about the nation of Israel. He says, these people on the surface, man, it looks like they seek me daily. It looks like they're all saying, you know, God, where are you? We want to see you. We want to see you move. We want to see you do something. We want to see you move in our city. It seems like they seek me daily. And they delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. It says, and they look around and they, you know, it just seems like, they are God-fearing people. It seems like they want to know, God, what is your will for my life? They ask of me righteous judgments, and they delight to draw near to God. But there's a problem in verse 3. Why have we fasted, and you see it not? We have humbled ourselves. This is them kind of talking to God. And you take no knowledge of it. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. He says, their prayer is, God, we want to know what you want. God, we want to know your will. God, we want, we want you. We want to see this. We want to see you. And God said, but there's a problem. Because when you do that, when you're saying all that, and you fast, and you pray, and you fast, and you pray, and you just kind of look around, and you say, but the problem is, is I do all of this religious activity, but I just don't see God. Let's be honest. For some of us, that was our growing up in church. Just a tremendous amount of religious activity. But it seemed like in all the presence of the activity of the religious system, there was a total lack of the presence of God. 
And so you know about God, but you don't know God. You know of people who have talked about God, but you have not experienced God for yourself. Like I'm talking about just the incredible, overwhelming, redemptive power of God in your life. You see, this is, this is the message of the gospel. It's that you and I innately are woefully sinful. I mean, terribly broken. And we all are. You want to know how I know you're broken? Because I am. And you listen to me talk, right? What does that say about you? Now, the funny thing is about that is that, is that though we all know that, we try to present ourselves to God as saying, God, I, I'm good enough. God, I'm good enough. God, I'm good enough. Right, God, I attended. God, I, God I don't know if you know this or not, God, but God, I don't know, you're God, so I'm sure you know this. But last night, man, I was walking, and I stepped on a Lego, and God, I didn't even cuss. God's like, wow, are you serious? Man, I didn't realize I was in the presence of a saint right now. So we try to present ourselves as holy to God. But the gospel says the opposite. What the message of Jesus, and if you haven't heard this, this is huge. What the message of Jesus says is simply this, is that we as people are broken and that God is holy. God is holier than anything we could ever imagine. He is the limitless, the ultimate, the incredible God. He is the infinite. As soon as the finite tries to conceptualize the infinite, they have just put boundaries on the infinite. And the only way that we can conceptualize is through our kind of anthropomorphic ways of us understanding God because God is not human. Well, Jesus, but you know what I'm saying. But God in his holiness is unapproachable by us. Because of our sinfulness, because of our brokenness. And Jesus looked at us and said, the point isn't for you to prove your way to me. The point of this is that you would understand in your brokenness, I have made a way. The ultimate, unlimited, limitless God of the universe has died on the cross. That because of the separation from my sin to his holiness, Jesus provided forgiveness in the same way that if my son who's four and my daughter who's six, if my son punches my daughter in the face, or more likely my daughter punches my son in the face, right? And mom's not home this weekend, so there's a good chance that's happened. Dad's like, all right, well, let's just see how this unfolds, you know? Live with the consequences of your decision, big fella. So, right, like if that happens and they have to apologize to one another because they, they have caused a rift, a relational fraction that has happened that they, you know, need something to make up for that. The problem is, is there's no possible way in our sinfulness we can unsin ourselves to make it up to God for the level of sin that we've had in our lives. And we do it on purpose, right? If you're in college, you just call it spring break, right? Thirsty Thursdays or Freaky Friday, you know what I mean? Just like take your way to your little, like, you know... I don't know. I was going to say Monistat Mondays. I don't, that's, that's not going to make the podcast. Anyway. See, this is, Dylan said pray for him. He meant pray for Ben. Um, but here's the reality. Here, here, here's the reality. We can't make it up to God. And we were never supposed to. In fact, the reason that we live for God as Christians isn't to make God happy with us. It's because through Jesus, God is happy with us. And the problem is, is in the church world, we get so focused on ourselves that we think we are the righteous ones. And you know what happens when we think we're the righteous ones? We treat people terribly. Somewhat unintentionally, but most times just categorically. This is what he said. Someone just texted me and said, Monistat Monday. The bunch of... <laughs> um, 
And the problem is we only have one sermon in service this week too, right? So it's not like on the podcast we're like, oh, he didn't say that. Anyways, <clears throat> he says, Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day <laughs> will not make your voice heard on high. Sorry, I missed the end of verse 3 where he says, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress all your workers. He says, man, you, you look at God like, man, God, we love you, God, we love you, God, we love you. And God says, okay, you can't look at me and say you love me and treat people terribly. You just simply can't. I'll tell you why in a second, but I want to keep reading what he says. He says, is such, a, is such the fast that I chose a day for a person to humble himself? Is that, is that all it's all about? Sunday. We just come to Sunday. Yeah, I'm going to, go on. I'm going to go to church on Sunday. That's fine. Yeah, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. We're going to praise. We're going to worship. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head and act humble for a day. He says, is, is that what God's called us to? Is it to bow his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? He says, well, you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Uh, culturally, we don't really, like, do that, right? Anybody's like, man, I just, I just got done with some sackcloth and some ashes in the car. I'm glad we're talking about this. But the point is, is they put on a really good religious facade. They put on a really good facade that gave the appearance of deferential attitude and posture towards God. That God, we're going to defer to you. We want to honor you. But here's what he says. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house and when you see the naked to cover them and to not hide yourself from your own flesh? He says, come on. Now, this is the kind of religion that God's talking about. Is that when you see people, when you see needs, you're a person that's selfless and you meet those needs. And the beauty of the gospel, because sometimes, to be honest, in the church world, when we go around meeting people's needs, what we really do is meeting our own need for um, superiority and the savior complex, right? But the beautiful thing about this is when we realize the holiness of God and the sinfulness of us, it's not me serving you from a place of superiority. It's one broken person telling another broken person, here's where we go to find bread. But the problem is we have these like little loaves of bread. I'm like, no, I'm going to keep this bread for myself. I don't really want to share it. I'm, I'm, I'm busy. I've got stuff to do. I've got stuff going on. I get that. But he says, is that, is that just what it's about? It's just about a day? He said, it is not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house, and when you see the naked, to cover him, and to hide yourself from your own flesh. This is why I'm tying this into evangelism, because this next verse, I think, this, so this was legitimately, this was one of the verses, this next section is one of the verses, or the section of verses, that was the most formative thing when we started this church. Because almost every church, especially today, almost every church is in this thing like, man, how do, we, how do we get our message out there? How do we get our words out there? How do we get our thoughts out there? How do we get other people to believe what we believe, to think what we think? How do we basically outshine every church? I mean, look at the lights. They're cool. Which I do think they're cool because I hung most of them, okay? And look at the band, and look at the sermon, all that stuff. No, 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 don't get me wrong. That stuff is wonderful. This whole building is wonderful. It's phenomenal. It's going to be a blessing to the community. But the reality is, 
is that as Isaiah is prophesying, he says, there is a way to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. There is a way for you to be a light. There is a way for you to be a city on a hill. There is a way for you to be this beacon and a shining light of hope in a world that is terribly broken. And that's not to say like, oh, the world is broken. No, 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 we're broken. We get that, right? But we live in a world of, of, of suffering, we live in a world of, of chaos. We live in a world of, in you know, other countries of, of, of incredible poverty. We live in a world, in, some in our country, of incredible poverty. But even those of us who don't live in poverty, well, we just exchange that for anxiety. And we just exchange that for stress and mental health. And those things are wonderful. Don't hear me saying they're not, because my wife is a therapist, and she would, we would not be sleeping in the same room tonight if we didn't, right? But the reality is, is like, we all experience the consequence in the feels of the brokenness. That those things are important, but we have an opportunity to be a light to this world. And he says, and so this is how, in the light, in, in the light of this darkness, this is how you're going to do it. That when you see the naked to cover him, to not hide yourself from his own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall, shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of God, of the Lord, shall be your rear guard. He says, here's what you do. When you spend yourselves, when you spend yourselves, he says, when you do that, your light is going to shine, verse 9. Then you shall call on the Lord, and he will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. In other words, this whole time that I've been praying, and just feel like it's bouncing off the walls. God hears it. God sees it. God says, this matches what you're actually doing with your life. And if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if, if, contingency, contingent clause in this sentence, if you do this, if you pour yourselves out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will be as the noonday. He says, this is how you get the light to shine. You focus not on yourself. You focus on the needs of other people, the poor, the hungry, the widow, the orphan. You focus on the kid who lives in South City, who is trying to do all kinds of stuff to try to fill different voids and holes in his life, just like we are, who's at some, some, some strategic disadvantages. And you see that kid, and you join the Hope Program, and you just mentor and love, and you serve that kid. You join one of the phenomenal nonprofits that we have going around, and you say, man, I want to love, and I want to be there, and I want to serve, and I want to help you. You want to know why we put so much of an emphasis on serving on Sundays? Let me just let, me just, let, me let you in on the insider secret. It has nothing to do with serving on Sundays. It's because when we're together, we model what's important to us. Do you know that? Just like you at home. You can't expect your kids to have good manners if you don't have good manners. And so if we don't model, man, we want to go out of our way to add value, to love, and to serve the people around us when you come on Sunday, well, how can we expect that to, to, to go forth? And over the next couple of weeks, again, we're going to talk about a lot of like the unpacking of the specifics of this for us. But he says, this is what you do. You spend yourself on behalf of the poor and on the, of the needy. You live a life that's not about yourself. That's a reflection of the fact that, that God did this for you. God did this for us. God did this for me. 
What did you say? I'm glad you said that. Like sometimes, is that, is that Dev? Yeah, sometimes you talk back and I'm like trying to not say it, but yeah. Because <laughs> I'm always like, yeah, what he said, you know, and then he's like, bro, you can't do that all the time. I'm going to stop doing it. And I'm like, all right, well, just keep doing, you know, just talk back a little bit. And then I'm like, that, no, that was a sentence, okay? <laughs> the... We get to the heart of this. There's two, there's two big kind of directional things for us. Number one is this. We have focused on maturity. We're going to continue to do that. We want to be the fullness of a church that has a passionate love for God, a passionate love for people. And we help, we want to help people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. We help grow, take them from, from belief to maturity, from non-belief to belief, belief to maturity. And we love and we serve the people around us. But there is a temptation. There is a temptation. So I want to make it about our preference. Well, I don't like the music anymore. Well, I don't like the lights anymore. Well, I don't like, you know, just the, the feel and just kind of feels like a big church. I'm sorry we're reaching people. Should we stop? Right? Like go there for and make disciples of some nations until it gets uncomfortable. And then you should probably just chill out a little bit. Like, there were these people, like, throughout Scripture, they were just so focused on loving and serving people. They were just so focused around, man, we're going to need the needs of the community around us. This is what the early church did, that, that as they spent themselves on, the poor, on, the, on behalf of the poor and needy, you know what happens when we do that? You know what happens when we actually love and serve the people around us? The world actually believes that we believe what we're saying. He's been this whole time saying, okay, it's, 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 you know, it's about a God who loved, a God who served, a God who gave. But I'm only going to love and serve and give so long as you're like me. We're not going to bring up politics, but I just did. We live in a world that says, I'll serve you so far as your political affiliation lines with mine. We have taken a... 150-year-old institution and put it above a 2,000-year-old belief system and ideology and theology. Because it's not comfortable. We love talking about get out of your comfort zone. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. this, this is, if there's a thing that I feel like God has put on my heart for this morning, this is it. It's that we're going to love and we're going to serve and it's going to be wildly uncomfortable. When I was reading this and thinking about this, What Jesus says, so Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5. He says that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand to give light to all in the house in the same way. Here's how you let your light shine. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your what? Good works. Not your biased works, not your preference towards what you think your works ought to be and the things that make you comfortable towards work. He says, no, that they may see your good works and they turn your praise to your Father in heaven. No one's praising a Father in heaven because people are doing what everybody else does that you don't need Jesus to do, which is just align with your preference, right? Here's what we need to know. And here's why I say this. Let me just tell you. If I don't run some people off today, then I don't know what I can do, okay? But this is, this is kind of my goal. Here's the thing. Many of us have been sold a Jesus who's a used car salesman saying, please come by. He is an infinite, ultimate God who is to be submitted to regardless of my preference. 
Now, if you're in here and you're not a Christian yet, and you're trying to filter through all this stuff, then you should know that's the God that we serve. We serve the ultimate God who sustains all things by the power of his mighty word. We serve the ultimate God who, who within his word, within the palm of his hand, sustains everything that we know about everything that in an instant could take my life, could take your life. And this isn't like a, where would you go if you die tonight? But it is the reality that we serve the ultimate infinite God, the God who is a God who is in control. And a God who we shouldn't say, hey, you should just try a little Jesus. No, he's a God that when we understand that you are holy, you are righteous, you are pure, you are just, you you are love, you are selfless, and you, the infinite God, came down to planet Earth to die for a sinner like me, and not just to die for a sinner like me, but to serve a sinner like me. As Jesus said it himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, that he is a God who is to be submitted to because he submissively served us first. And if the God of the universe is not above putting his preference which I'm guessing would have been heaven. Right, like, in Florida, the pool is nice. Some of you guys are from the beach, like Boca. Okay. We see you in your white Lexus. <laughs> right, this, 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 this is our preference. Jesus laid all of that aside to love and to serve the people around him. And we have a God. We have a God who does not ask us to do anything that he didn't do first. But we have a God who is a God who is to be submitted to and served. Let me tell you, the vision of our church is still the vision of our church that it started off with. That we would love God, passionately love God, that we'll be bent on making disciples, helping people who don't have faith have faith, and helping people who have faith to have a level of maturity or to continue to grow with him in sanctification. And beyond that, to be a, the church that loves their neighbor as their self, whoever their neighbor is. Here's what I've found. Christians love to talk about this until they actually have to do it. We love the idea of it, right? It's like eating healthy. It's like, man, kale sounds good when you're not hungry. It's like, I'm going to drink some water today, you know? Got a little coffee in me. I'm going for a walk, you know? <laughs> I lost seven pounds, by the way, since we started doing construction, just because I'm like, my body's like, oh, we've gotten used to a nice little sedentary lifestyle, Ben. Here's what happens when you move, right? <clears throat> Way too much self-disclosure. But isn't that true? Like, we, we love to talk about these things, but the doing of them is wildly uncomfortable. Let me tell you what we need you to do. In a few months, and I'm going to give you a lot of more details, we're going we're gonna, to, we have spent time with people that are serving in the community and more of a small group, community group context. We're going to continue that. We're going to grow that. And we're going to relaunch a project, Tallahassee, that hopefully has the top down as we go from the bottom up top type of mentality because we want to love and we want to serve our community well. We need you to be a part of that. If you're an adult, and by an adult, I mean you're all an adults, but you know what I'm saying, like, you pay for yourself. Um, <laughs> just kidding. No, if, 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 well, I'm not, but I am. If you're, if you're like, I'm going to say 28, 30 or over, we need you to serve. We need you to serve on Sundays. We need people to see that there are older people here. 
And we need younger people who love, and let me just tell you, I say this every time, younger people, the primary thing that I, when I ask a group of people, what is one thing that you would change about our church over and over the thing I hear is, we wish there were more older people that we could, men, that we could be mentored by. They don't want to be controlled, they want to be mentored. Learn from your experience. We need you to be visible. We need you to be around. We need you to serve. We need you to be involved. And as many of you are, we need you to continue to, that, to do that. If not, do it more. Let me tell you this. We need a group and a continual group of, of leaders, of community group leaders, of discipleship leaders who are loving and who are serving the people who are on the front lines. And by the front lines, I mean you are to the people in your group, their primary first go-to for care when life erupts, for biblical direction when they don't know which way to turn, and for accountability when they've turned the wrong way. Let me just tell you specifically, men, we need you. We need, oh, good girl, yep, we know, we get it. <laughs> Insider Sunday. Anyway, right, man, we we need this. And I'm not talking about some kind of like macho, you know, like, oh, I'm a a dude. We need men who who like, who who understand the gospel, understand, man, my job as a man is to love and to serve. My primary job as a husband is to love and to serve my wife and my family for their sanctification, not for my benefit. It's not make me a sandwich. It's let me do everything to love and to serve and to help and to put you first and your needs above of mine. You know my favorite? This is kind of a, a random thing. But again, I've been thinking for two months now, so welcome to church. Um, one of my favorite, one of my favorite um, stories is, or accounts is of, there was a, a boxer named Rocky Marciano. If you know Rocky Marciano, he was undefeated. This was, this was back in the day when it was just like boxing. It was, you would just get bloody. It was, it was the real deal. And they said, Rocky Marciano, he, I mean, he was undefeated. There was one time when he had a cut. He was about to, um, the, the ref said, you got one more round. Uh, if you, you're bleeding too much. If you don't you know, do something that I'm going to call it. He said, okay. Um, the guy put his arms up because he knew he had one more round. He broke both of the guy's arms and knocked him out in that round. They said he had the softest handshake on planet Earth. But it was terrifying because he didn't have anything to prove. <laughs> you knew he could kill you if he wanted. We need men who are winsome enough, confident enough to put themselves second, to serve the other men, the younger men, who need an example of that. Because many of you were like many of us that did not have a great example of that as a father growing up. We had a dad, for sure, and he was awesome, did the best he could probably didn't love Jesus like he needed to. And we need you to be that. Women, to be honest, y'all kill it. Like, we need you guys to do something too, but if there's like a totem pole of like who does what, honestly, you guys are pretty good. <laughs> and I don't just say that because I mean, y'all, are, y'all, y'all do awesome. Y'all, y'all join groups. Y'all talk about stuff. Which guys were like, talk about stuff. What are we talking about, right? Like, no, no, no. You, you, you join groups. You're, you're in community with each other. You, you love and that you serve. And we, here's what we need you to do. We need you to do that, and we need you to continue to do that more and more and more and more and more. Because here's what I'm convinced of more than anything else. That as 
the women and the men and the people in the church of God actually live into this, actually spend themselves, put their preferences, put themselves aside and say, we serve a God who so loved us, he put heaven aside to come and find us when we were so not worthy of finding. It's not like he's like, oh man, that's, that's this awesome, you know, here, here's this treasure, let me go uncover this, like, because you guys are so cool and so interesting. He says, no, 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 you guys are like grasshoppers, and he sits enthroned above the circles of the earth, and, and God of the universe sent his son to die for some grasshoppers. I love my son, and I would not spare a single grasshopper for my son, but God did. And people who get that, people who say, God, because you have done that for me, I'm going to do the same thing. People who love, people who serve, people who, whether it's through the church, whether it's through nonprofits, whether it's through ministries that we have, whether it's through just, you know, you're, you go and you love and you serve and you foster, you love and you go and you serve and you adopt, you love and you go and you serve and you do whatever it is that God has called you to do. Here's what I know, here's what I know. We cannot stake this church on the coolness of our ministry, but it must be on the presence of God, the gospel of Jesus, and the love and the service to the world around us. And if we don't do that, we will be an incredibly mediocre church. Some of you guys thought I was going to say, oh, we're going to die. No, we'll be fine. <laughs> Look, honestly, how many churches are there like that, right? They're still open. So if it was about staying open, congratulations, we're open. If it was about getting big, congratulations, we're big. We want to love and serve and reach people in the name of Jesus and reflect who he is. A God who loves, a God who serves, a God who gives, a God who gave, a God who sacrificed. Let me ask you this. I'm just going to close with this, and this will be case in point. If you're in here and you're struggling with faith, if you're in here and you're not really sure where you are and what you believe, Here's my guess, and I don't know you, or maybe I do, but here's my guess about your story. Somewhere along the way, what got in the way of Jesus was not Jesus. It was the people of God. What got in the way wasn't that you read this document that said there's a God who loves you, who gave everything for you. We didn't deserve it. No, I don't want that. It was a bunch of people who usually get in the way. And let me tell you, because of our brokenness, we're never going to get this perfect. But I want to be a part of a church who loves the process of pursuing that, of pursuing him, and who embodies him. And now when people, when people interact with the followers of Jesus, they say, that's different. If you're not a Christian, here's my, here's my question to you. How much differently would you think about God? if people who said that they followed Jesus actually did this. Like, I mean, if they just, like, weirdly disagreed with people, but, like, selflessly, sacrificially loved and served them regardless, in a way that was inexplicable, it didn't make sense. Why would they do that? If instead of seeing the church, you didn't see hypocrisy, you saw integrity. Instead of seeing people who, who honestly, and especially in the church world, create this, this sense of... of I don't know, ego and self-righteousness saw humility and service. But not in a way, not in a way that they actually thought less of themselves. It's better than that. 
in a way that they realize the value that they have because of who God is and what God did for them and for us. My guess, my guess is that if, that, if you saw that, if you saw Christians who actually did this, you would perhaps be more interested in becoming a Christian. I'm just going to dare to say you'd probably be open to Jesus. Perhaps the reason that you're here is because you experienced somebody like that. In a sea of, of mediocre Christianity, you met somebody who was different. You met somebody who embodied Isaiah. You met somebody who, I'm just going to read this verse and then we're going to close. If you pour yourselves out for the hungry, like Jesus did, and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, like Jesus did, then shall your light rise in the darkness like Jesus did, and your gloom be as the noonday. I want to be a part of a church who is fiercely devoted to loving God, making disciples, and being great neighbors, and serving the needs of the poor and the widow and the orphan. A church who looks like Jesus. That is the direction of our church. That is where we're headed. At times it's going to be uncomfortable, but I don't care. At times, you're going to want to push back, but I don't care. The greatest thing that we can do is to be a representation of who Jesus is to the world around us, and that is going to be terribly uncomfortable. But the group of people that changed the world was always a group of people who did it anyways because they realized that's what God did for us. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask and I pray. I know that I struggle to embody the things that we just talk about. I know that we all struggle to embody the things that we just talk about. But God, would you help us? Would you make us into a group of people who pours themselves out? Would you make us into a group of people who loves and who serves? And would you help people to see that all over our city, all over the state, perhaps all over the world? Would you help people to see that the way that we love, the way that we serve, and not see us and think, man, those people are cool, but that they would turn and God praise you, our Father in heaven, that our light would shine at the noonday, that you would make us a city on a hill. God, I pray for the future of our church, for the now of our church, for the people of our church, that you would make us into a group of people who are so obsessed with you, Jesus, that we are transformed into your likeness and we are uncomfortable, but God, good grief were you uncomfortable on the cross. But that we would lay down our lives for the most important thing we could ever lay our lives down for, which is for the glory of God, the service of the people of God, the love of our neighbor, and salvation to the nations. God, you are a God to not be sold, but a God who reigns supreme and is, who, who is to be submitted to. So God, I pray in advance for the places of discomfort. 
I pray in advance for the places that we just don't know. The times and the areas. The times when we want to pull back and be selfish instead of selfless. God, would you give us the wisdom in those moments to see clearly how you, Jesus, would act, love, and respond. And as we do that, I pray that an entire generation of people would see you, that lives would be changed, families would be changed, kids would be changed, grandkids would be changed, and future generations would be changed as we spend ourselves on behalf of the people that you, Jesus, spent yourself for. God, would you help us to be a light, to be a city on a hill, and that people would come to know you as they see you through us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.